You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. I can remember back when I was in high school, and uh, one of the things that we would do as family is we would go uh, skiing just about uh, a couple times every single year. And I can remember in particular, uh, we went up to Michigan one, sun, or one weekend, and we skied, and we were doing some evening skiing, but we would come back, and when we came back, we ended up uh, going in the pool. They had an indoor pool that we could go and, and uh, swim in, and so we uh, went. I had taken a friend with me, and so we got changed, and we were going to be going uh, swimming. Well, we got to the pool, and I watched my friend jump and dive into the pool. And I thought to myself, well, okay, you know, it's like, hey, we're guys, we're going to outdo each other. So what did I do? I did what they call it, I guess, like a suicide dive, where you go and you try to do a belly flop. And at the very last moment, you tuck into a ball. So you do a cannonball, but it's kind of a face first cannonball. Well, no sooner had I hit the water than I hit the bottom of the pool. Uh, what I did not realize when my friend dove in, I wasn't paying any attention. The pool was only three feet deep at that end. So I hit the water. I hit the bottom of the pool, and instantly, because I had hit my face, I thought I had lost some teeth. So I felt my mouth. I felt, okay, I didn't lose any teeth. And I came up out of the water, and you kind of breathe a big sigh of relief. I turn around to go and tackle my sister, who was also in the pool. And she said, Aaron, you're bleeding. So, of course, I, I hold my hand over my head, and I notice there's blood over my hand. You know, you start to panic a little bit. You get out of the pool. You go and grab a towel. You hold a towel to your head, and you realize, oh, my goodness, that's bleeding. I can see the blood. So I go down to the room, and I look in the mirror, and you know what it's like when you see things that you are not supposed to see right? When you see blood and bone, and immediately uh, you start to get a little weak need. So my dad took us to the hospital. Thankfully, there was an emergency room nearby. And uh, so we go in and get into the ER. The doctor takes uh, an x-ray, and then he stitches up my head. And the doctor really pointed out for me the fact that uh, you are so blessed by the fact that you did not end up doing any spinal cord damage. It's a good thing that you did not hit the very top of your head, that you really hit your face first. But honestly, what made that experience even more harrowing was the fact that right on the other side, there is a curtain dividing me and a gentleman on the other side. There is a local penitentiary right nearby, and you have this man who has been stabbed in a fight and is now bleeding, and he's got two police officers holding him down. So he's yelling and screaming and swearing, and they're holding him down. He's right on the other side of this curtain, and I thought for sure that as the doctor is going back and forth between me and him, like, he's going to break loose, right? The whole entire ER is going to be taken out. But so I'm bleeding, and you have this man that's next to me that's also bleeding. Maybe you've had experiences similar to that. Um, I know Nicole actually started off as a nursing major in college, but once she had to deal with blood, she was like, ah, that's it, I'm out. You know, it's like she majored in education instead. You know, uh, for myself, 
Uh, we made a pact when we got married that when it was time and we started having children that uh, she was going to handle the vomit and I was going to handle the blood, right? Because, you know, some of us have that gag reflex when you see blood. Others of us have that gag reflex when you see vomit. And I was like, you know what, honey, I can't deal with vomit. So, you know, she's like, okay, that's fine. I'll handle that if you handle the blood. But you and I know that at 3 a.m. when the kids throw up and you got to clean them off and you got to change the sheets, there's no way I'm going to say like, all right, baby, you know what? You can handle this one. I'm going back to bed, right? You know, you, you know you've got to dive in and, and help out. Now, maybe I've experienced that. Uh, maybe you've experienced something like that as well. You and I know that when we see blood, it usually indicates that something is wrong. Uh, none of us like the sight of blood because usually when you see it, it's because you're not supposed to be seeing it, right? And so we probably all have some different stories. Maybe for you, the sight of blood makes you a little bit squeamish. Or there's something about blood that makes you spring into action. Because you know you're seeing it, when you're not supposed to be seeing it, you know then something needs to be done. You need to help out in order to stop that. Now, even if you grew up or maybe you've served as a nurse or a doctor in some way, you know that blood is precious. And so you may not be squeamish around it, but you still know that it's important, that something needs to be done, and so you end up treating it and handling it with care. Now, why do I say all of this? It's because I don't know if you've noticed, but the Bible talks a lot about blood. Like, a lot. I've heard people say that anywhere that you cut the Bible, that it would bleed. As Christians, uh, or if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably know, right? You, you've been around the church long enough to where you understand what blood represents. You understand the purpose behind it. You've grown accustomed to it. We know the biblical story well and what it signifies. But let's be honest. If you are honest, maybe you scratch your head. Because in the back of your mind, you're like, why? Like, what's the deal with, with blood? Like, why couldn't God have chosen some other means? And by the way, if you are a non-Christian, this is totally bizarre. Right? I mean, is God, like, bloodthirsty? Um, like, is God like all the other religions of, of the world, the ancient world, where it's like, you know, sacrifices poured out, and oh, how God just loves blood, right? I mean, a lot of times, non-Christians, they think Christians are like vampires, right? You drink blood? I mean, so we understand, like, as followers of Jesus, if we sometimes wonder, okay, like, seriously, why, why blood? You can imagine what the rest of the world has to think. It's just plain weird. And think about it. We've heard songs that even sing about it today. Like Christians, you guys really seem to love blood. There's nothing but the blood. There's power in the blood. Are you washed in the blood? Right? We talk a lot about blood. So seriously, what's the deal? What's the deal with blood? And here's the result. 
churches usually fall into one of two camps, right? Um, for some, they would say, well, you know what? We don't want to talk about it at all. Let's just kind of whitewash it. Let's not deal with blood in any way. By the way, did you know Dwight L. Moody received a letter early on in his ministry saying, if you are going to be effective, you are going to have to leave out the blood. By the way, did you know Billy Graham, when he was a young preacher, a professor from Cornell University spoke to him and said, son, you are a good preacher. You speak with authority and clarity. You can go places in ministry, but I want to suggest you leave out the blood stuff. Don't speak about the blood. It's uncultured. It's uncouth. And you'll go far if you leave out the message of the blood. Now, thankfully, we see they didn't listen to that advice. And you know what? What we find throughout history is that the people who seem to be the most effective in their ministry, the people who are bringing the most people to faith in Jesus Christ are those who make much of the blood of Jesus Christ. Far too often we find the pastors want to say things like, well, it's too gory. It's too unnecessary. It's too difficult for people to understand. So people say, well, I want to be positive. I want to be uplifting. I don't want to have to talk about things like blood. I mean, who wants to hear about things like that? But beloved people, let me, let me just tell it to you straight. You take away the power of the gospel when you take out the blood. If all you want to say is God is love, guess what? You miss out on the extent of God's love if you leave out the blood itself. It is far better to explain the purpose of the blood so that we may know the true power of the gospel rather than have a gospel with no power at all. And this is why I believe God calls us, as difficult as things like this are, to talk about these things. To be a church that makes much of Jesus Christ, but also makes much of Jesus Christ and his blood, which was shed for us. And so this is what we're going to be discovering together as we read Hebrews chapter 9. And as we pick up at the 11th verse and go all the way to the end with verse 28. But I want to give you at least a little bit of background explanation before we jump into our passage. We need to answer the question, why the need for blood? Why, why is there a need for blood? Now, in order to help us with this, we're actually going to go to the end of the Bible. And that's going to take us back to the very beginning. In, in Revelation chapter 13, 8, listen to what it says. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen to this. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. And the point is that even at creation, God had Calvary in view. 
where the blood of Jesus Christ was going to be required. That from creation to its culmination, God knew that there was going to be no remission of sins without the shedding of the blood of Jesus. As we'll see together today, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says this, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So seriously, what's the deal with blood? Why is it so important? And scripture tells us why it's important. It's because of this, because blood represents life. There is a sacredness to blood. You know, as opposed to the pagan cultures that were around where people would sacrifice animals, people would then drink its blood in order to get its power or its life force or its lifeblood, God is separating his people out from that. And he's saying, you are not to be like all of the other tribes that are around you. Because blood represents life, but it also represents atonement for his people. God reminds us of this in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Listen to what it says. For the life of a creature is in the blood. Now, I underline that. I want to pause right here. Notice what God has said, that there is life in the blood. If you need another reason why we would stand against things like abortion, it's because of this. This is another reason why. Because God is saying that, look, there is life that is in blood itself. Even a child that's in the womb. Look at what it says. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So the question is, why did God choose blood? He could have chosen fruit. Give me some fruit, right? And I'll, I'll forgive. Maybe God could have just said, well, just say you're sorry. And that's enough. Maybe God could have just said, well, just live rightly. And by living rightly, that would be enough. And the reason why we struggle with this is because if we were God, right? Isn't this really what it comes down to? If we were God, if I was God, I would choose a different way, right? I, I would choose something that seemed a little less bloody, a little less gory. It seems unnecessary to us. This seems barbaric to us. But God's holiness requires justice. And Hebrews 9.15 reminds us that it, it requires a ransom. That it is life for life. It is blood for blood. Now, to help us th with this, we need to go back to the very beginning. And I want you to remember, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and the result of that sin was separation from God. The result was also death. Death came upon us because of that sin. R Romans, the wages of sin is death. But I want you to notice this. How many of you have ever noticed when you get to uh, verse 21 of chapter 3, what does it say God made for them? It made garments of skin. Now, have you ever thought about this? The idea that in order for God to make garments of skin, the implication is perhaps that there was a sacrifice that God had made. He had killed an animal in order to do what? Clothe them. In order to cover over their sin. 
So all the way back in the very beginning, we see this idea of blood covering over. By the way, in Genesis chapter 4, we, we see this story uh, of Cain killing Abel, right? And we know Cain brings some of his fruit. Abel brings the firstborn, uh, the fat of the calf, and, and offers that before God. And we know that God accepted Abel's offering. Now, we often say, well, it's because Cain brought what? Some of his fruit. But Abel brought the firstborn and the very best. But notice... In order for Abel to bring that best, the fattened portions, what did he have to do? An animal had to be killed, and its blood was poured out. So we see this all the way in the very beginning. As soon as Noah comes out of the ark in Genesis chapter 8, it says that he built an altar to the Lord, he offered sacrifices upon it, and that the aroma was pleasing to God. And just a few verses later, in Genesis 9, verses 4 to 5, it says this, But you must not eat meat that still has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. So we see this idea of life for life, blood for blood. In Genesis chapter 23, verse 13, what happens when God tests Abraham? And then what happens? There is a ram that is placed in its stead. Instead of the blood of Isaac, it's the blood of another animal. Again, a precursor, a picture of Jesus. Notice what it says. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So we see the way in which blood represented life and the way in which these offerings were made, by the way, before the sacrificial system had been put in place. It, this was all done as a way of making atonement. Now, fast forward some years, 430 years, the people are slaves in Egypt, and God begins to prepare a way for them to exit out of Egypt. And we read about these 10 plagues, and you come to that 10th plague, that final plague, right? And it's the killing of the firstborn. And what did God put in place in order for the people to be delivered? That they were to take the, that firstborn, a lamb without blemish or defect, they were to sacrifice that animal, they were to roast its meat, and then they were to take the blood and put it over the doorposts of their house. Now think about this. Why did God choose blood? He could have chosen anything. He could have said, tie a ribbon on the outside of your doorpost. Put a little fabric, that's fine. Put some gold or put some jewels outside. He could have just said, you know what, tie up a lamb. And if I see a lamb outside of your door, then the angel of death will pass over. That's not what happened, right? It was blood that was poured out, blood that was spilt because it represented life and it represented atonement for sin. 
And by the way, throughout the Old Testament, we see this. Places like Deuteronomy chapter 12, when God lays out this whole sacrificial system, tells them where you're to worship, how you're to worship, what it's supposed to look like. And he says this, blood is off limits. You are not to drink the blood. You are to pour it out like water on the ground. Because not only did blood represent life and atonement, but it also represented cleansing. Now, this may seem unnecessary to us, and it may seem gory. But you have to remember, the people of Israel, to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing and preaching, they would have understood all of this. Um, they, they would have known, right? We've talked about the, the sacrificial system. We, we've talked about the priests, and, the, and we've talked about the tabernacle. So this idea of blood being poured out would not have been foreign to them. But what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is Jesus is better. He's better in every single way than the priests, than the tabernacles, and it is his blood that represents life for us. So if you want to follow along, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles. In Hebrews chapter 9, I want to pick up at the 12th verse from what we left off last week, because you'll see when we get to verse 15, it uses this phrase, for this reason. Well, what's the reason? Let's go back for just a moment. Notice what it says. It says this, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? What did Pastor Andrew remind us of last week that the sacrifices and the blood that had been poured out by the priests needed to be repeated day after day, year after year, because it could only cleanse us ceremonially and outwardly, which is why these things needed to be repeated over and over again. But what did Jesus do? Jesus cleanses us with his blood. Jesus cleanses us with his blood. Jesus offered himself as the perfect priest and as the perfect sacrifice. And what Jesus did was sufficient for all eternity. It didn't need to be done over and over again. Which is why, when you get to verse 15, what does it say? It says, for this reason. Well, what reason? What we've just learned. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, and by the way, where you see the word will here, the same word is used for will and covenant, but instead he's using a will here because of the point that he's going to be making. He says, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force 
only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. The point that he's trying to make is that a will doesn't go into effect until someone dies, right? You don't get your inheritance until the one who's leaving you the inheritance actually dies. In addition, he's making the case that God's intention from the very beginning was going to be a new covenant in Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, both covenants required blood. In the case of the first covenant, it was the blood of bulls and goats. But in the case of the new covenant, it was the blood and the death of Jesus Christ. And from the very beginning, it was always God's intention that the continual sacrifices offered over and over again by the priests would be replaced by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would cover the sins of all people for all time. And in order to make the case, he goes back to the Old Testament. And he goes back to verses 18 to 22 where he's talking about Moses. Listen to what he says. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Notice what he says is that the law requires that everything be cleansed with blood. In fact, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But here's what we learned. This is nothing new. If you've been following along with our book by Michael Kruger, one of the things that he says is this, things have always been this way. God has always been holy. Sin has always been a big deal. Someone always has to pay. And it reminds us of what the picture of the tabernacle would have looked like. I, I was thinking about that this week, and uh, I was reminded, uh, how many of you have those memories of uh, going to Disney World and going to the Magic Kingdom? And it's really hot. And when it's hot, you just want to get inside. And so uh, one of our stops would always be the Country Bear Jamboree, right? And inside, everybody always probably had their favorite bear that they would like to listen to. But what was the one bear? The Tex Ritter song. There was blood on the saddle. Blood all around, right? And there was a big, big puddle of blood on the ground, right? The point is, if you were to go into the tabernacle... Kruger says there was blood everywhere. It would have been on the altar. It would have been on the ark. It would have been all over the ground. 
it would have been on the priest. It would have been on his hands. It would have been on his clothes. It would have been on the people. I mean, if you would have gone into the tabernacle, there was blood that would have been absolutely everywhere. But the point is this. Sin is very serious. And God needed to deal with it. The effect of sin was serious. And because God is a holy God, he needed to take it seriously. And the way God took sin seriously was through blood. But because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But whose blood? It was the blood of Jesus. Now, if you notice, buried within this section as a reference to Moses telling the people about this new covenant of, that God has commanded them to keep, when Jesus gathers with his disciples around the table, what does he say? This is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. He's referring back to this passage here, and the writer of Hebrews understands that, and he's calling attention to that, that Jesus washes away sin. Jesus' blood is cleansing. But here's the thing. How can blood be cleansing? We clean up after we see blood, right? So we think, I see blood, I've got to clean up. But what God says is that it is blood that cleanses us, that washes us clean. Listen to what Kruger says. I love this. He says, why can't God just put up with our sin? Here's the reality. God is pure, holy, righteous, God is so holy that he cannot dwell with sin, and he is so concerned with justice that he cannot simply forget about sin. There is not a single sin committed in all of time that God will allow to go unpunished. Either God punishes that sin in us, or he punishes it in our substitute, Christ. Sin is a monumental problem requiring a monumental solution. This is why Christ had to come. When we diminish either the seriousness of sin or the holiness of God in order to make people feel better, we end up diminishing what Christ has done for us. If sin were not a big deal or God were not holy, then we would not really need Jesus to have died on the cross and the gospel would no longer be gloriously good news. This is why the old covenant involves so much blood. It made people realize how serious the problem of sin was. Sin always has consequences. What's the old phrase? You do the crime, you do the time. Now, we don't always see that in our modern-day judicial system, do we? But here's, here's the point. That's never not been the case for God. Sin always leads to death. 
but because Jesus' blood was shed on our behalf, we have been cleansed and we have access to God. The consequences of sin fell upon him so that we can have eternal life. And what do we say to that except thanks be to God. He gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, by the way, to what he says in verses 23 to 28. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself just as people are destined to die once and after to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. If you remember, we said a couple of weeks ago that we often think that the heavenly tabernacle was fashioned after the earthly one. But it's just the opposite. The earthly one was fashioned after what we see in heaven, meaning that the symbols on earth are really just copies of the actual thing in heaven. That the things that were made with human hands on earth are the things that God himself has made in heaven. And this is where Jesus has gone. And in effect, his blood was poured out for us there. Kruger points this out. He says, in the tabernacle, there was a curtain. But in heaven, there's a door that stands open. In the tabernacle, there is an ark which served as God's throne. But in heaven, there is the actual throne of God. In the tabernacle, there were golden creatures known as cherubim. But in heaven, there are actual cherubim. The tabernacle has seven lampstands. But in heaven, it's the very glory of God and his power that radiates forth. Only Jesus could have gone into the holy of holies and offered himself as a sacrifice for us once and for all. Yes, one day all of us will die. How's that for good news on a Sunday morning, right? But the good news is actually buried within this passage. First, notice, by the way, there's no such thing as reincarnation. It, what does it say? It says that we die once and then we face judgment. Notice, too, that it's sin 
has been dealt with. It's finished. When Jesus comes again, he's not going to have to deal with sin a second time because it is done. It is finished. And when he returns, it will bring the culmination of salvation to everyone who is awaiting him, who is longing for his appearance. And when Jesus comes again and we stand before him, what is the judgment that is pronounced over us? Forgiven. That's the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Colossians 1, 20-22 says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 1 John 1.7 says how we should live. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and with the blood of Jesus, his son. It purifies us from all sin. Why do we have it? Because of God's love for us. Yes, there is judgment. Yes, there is a gruesomeness to the cross and its blood. But Revelation 1.5 says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And what do we have as a result? Revelation 12.11 says this. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Scripture tells us over and over again that it is a cleansing blood, that it is a washing blood, that it is an overcoming blood, that it is a purchasing blood, that it is a redeeming blood, that it is a justifying blood, that it is a peacemaking blood, that it is a conquering blood, that it is a marking blood, and that it is an eternal redeeming blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your blood that was shed on our behalf. And Lord, what a joy to know that, our blood, that, that your blood doesn't just 
cover over sins like it did in the past, according to the old covenant, your blood washes away sins. And Lord, that in Jesus Christ, we don't have to live as a people who are condemned, but rather we have the promise of everlasting life. Lord, we thank you that as we move to celebrate the supper together, that we are reminded of your life given, of your blood poured out, so that, Lord, we may have everlasting life. Lord, we thank you today for the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and his blood which was poured out on our behalf so that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is not reconciled to you, Lord, may they believe in Jesus Christ who lived, who died, and Lord, who we know is coming again. And may they be able to experience the resurrecting power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, and have a blessed day.